Good morning, my name is Sharon Van Dyke. I represent Nathan McGuire, appellant in this matter. Nathan McGuire is a high school basketball coach. He seeks a meaningful opportunity to clear his name and his reputation, which has been sullied by a group of overzealous parents and, uh, and he has had no opportunity to do so to date. A defamation claim brought as by a person such as Nathan McGuire gives him an opportunity to present his case, gives him an opportunity to speak, and it's the only avenue open to him to speak and be heard. And if this door is shut because of the way the defamation laws have been interpreted by the Court of Appeals, he has no forum in which to speak. The case is here because the lower courts applied the New York Times official, public official um, standard, which is a constitutional actual malice standard that is applied to public officials and to public figures, and taken it and applied to a high school coach. The Court of Appeals found that high school coaches... Council, what decisions um, can Mr. McGuire make in his role as coach? What major decisions, what power does he have? A high school coach has the power to govern the head coach, which is his position, has the, the power to make decisions about the team, who's on it, who's not on it, practices, drills, how it's all structured, the program. Um, there are almost, a, in a larger school, such as the one he is in, there are assistant coaches, and he, he, those are part of the overall plan with respect to how do you make, how do you create teams? The goal, of course, is to create a winning team. Um, uh, and that's basically his responsibility. So his responsibilities are narrow in that they all relate to um, his role as a basketball coach in that, for that team. Correct, he's not an athletic director. I mean, an athletic director would be a step up and be you know, responsible for tennis, basketball, baseball, football, the whole thing. Council, um, I was just gonna ask you that question. Would you concede that a, a, an athletic director is a public official? I believe I have to concede that that one would be a public figure if they, it, it, uh, depending. Yeah, but I'm, I, my question was about public official. I mean, right. they're, they're, those are two different, potentially two different things, a public official and a public figure. And I'm focusing on public official. Is an athletic director a public official? At the high school level, I question it. Why do you question it? Because the, if you look at what a public official, the responsibilities of a public official and the reason there is a category public official and the reason for the actual malice standard, um, the, the, the public official category was created by the US Supreme Court, not by this court. This court has adopted it. Um, the purpose is to protect government and the way government operates and controversies in government. So the, if we're talking just the position of an athletic director, um, I find it hard to believe that the position of, of an athletic director, for example, as a position in a rural school that has, a school, rural school that has three programs and they're, they're small, 
Um, I don't know that the decisions that they make with respect to um, the only thing I think that might make them a public official would be allocation of budget. That might, because it would be public money. Okay, how about a school superintendent? Would you concede the superintendent's a public official? Now we're getting up to the point where I think it's you're starting to get into policy. You're starting to get into an area in which the public is paying attention um, as, a, as, a, as a position. Um, a board member, for instance, would be, I believe, a public official. Those are elected positions. Those are positions that people are talking about issues. They have the authority to make um, policy decisions about all kinds of government uh, uh, money and programs that affect everyday lives um, in a government, in a true capital G government sense. So Council, by the time you get there, I think we're, we're, we're at public official. Council, can't you say the same things though of, of a coach such as Coach McGuire in this instance, in terms of intense public scrutiny, uh, the ability to affect uh, many lives. In fact, that's the, the route that the Court of Appeals and the District Court took. Um, you have a, an individual who's paid with public funds. Um, and so some of the things you just listed, I think can also be likewise said of, of a coach. And so what's, what's the difference? Well, I think the difference is the, is the focus on government. Um, and uh, um, I think if you have to look back to the Supreme Court's decision in terms of how that term was used and where it came from, and also where it ended up. Um, initially, it was always media that was a defendant and in, in a defamation case, and it was broad-spread public controversy about something that often was already in existence, something, um, the issue that mattered to more people than just the participants. It mattered to the community as a whole and nationally as a whole. Um, that line kept moving with respect to the standard. Yes, there are different categories, public official and public uh, figure, but the standard applied to them is the same. And the reason for that is, is the same. It has to be capital P public and it has to be government. Um, just about anything affects many lives. Anybody who abuses their position, if they have any position over other people, um, if they abuse it, they can affect lives. So since the Supreme Court has consistently and repeatedly stated that not every government employee is a government official, then we have to figure out, okay, what else is involved? One of the big, big factors was access to media. In public official, it was assumed because initially all of the people that, that the Supreme Court was talking about were people who were elected or had a high enough status um, in government in terms of position over, over areas like the recreation area of a county or um, uh, decision-making, those kinds of things. Um, they, the government, fo they focused on the fact that the media had, they had access to the media to present the other side. And the focus was 
um, active participation, even dissenting voices in government issues. Um, so is the, one of the allegations here that was made against the coach is that he um, behaved inappropriately with uh, members of his team, that there may have been some, um, some inappropriate touching. Um, understanding that's just an allegation, but is that a matter of public concern? In a general sense, I think it obviously has become an issue that people talk about. It's newsworthy uh, would be a word that I use for that. Um, obviously, we don't want um, anybody inappropriately touch touching children. But again, that applies to anybody who works with children. Um, the issue here is who does Nate, both sides, both sides need to have a voice. And I think the Supreme Court has been very, very consistent about saying that. I think say counsel though that, that um, the Supreme Court has moved, that jurisprudence has moved a little bit um, and in the area of the First Amendment, what seems to really be driving the court is whether or not the issue is a matter of public concern. I mean, you think about the funeral protester case, um, and and if the the issue is a matter of public concern, then the First Amendment comes into play. And then I'm wondering about whether or not the heightened constitutional standard wouldn't apply in in this situation. Um, <clears throat> fair question, and and the the Supreme Court did grapple with that exact question. Um, it went from public official, I mean public, um, yeah, public official to public figure. And then in uh, Rosenblum versus Metro Media, which was uh, decided um, before 1969 in any event, it was, it was, it was um, no, it was before 1974. So it was probably in the late 60s, I can't recall. And it went a step further and it said, it doesn't matter what the status of the person is, if it's a public issue, if it's a public issue, then it has to be protected. And that was Rosenblum versus Metro Media. And in fact, this, this court in Stankey, which was a decision that is one of the, two of the legs in the test, in the Britain test, the source of that. Stankey, at the time Stankey came down, Rosenblum was still the law. Rosenblum has still extended the actual malice standard to exactly what you're talking about. An issue that is of interest to the public that everybody's talking about. Um, and they want free speech. They want everybody to be able to speak and so they're willing to protect even defamatory speech if that's a risk they have to take. Stankey cites Rosenblum and cites it as a concern. The Gertz case drew it back. The Gertz case looked at Rosenblum, which was a plurality decision in which no, none of the, no, no opinion drew more than three, than three people adhering to it. And there were rationales for each position and they were all reasonable. And at 79, Gertz drew it back and said, that's too far. That applies to just about anybody. That applies to people who don't voluntarily give up their right 
to protect their reputation. And, and it wasn't talking, that, was, that, that discussion was whether if they're in government, in the lower levels, as opposed to like a senator or something like that, um, and, and public official. It applied to both, that discussion. And so the, the reality is, in terms of jurisprudence moving forward and back, at the time Stanke was written, um, Rosenblum was the law. By the time, um, in 1979, Hutchinson, well, it's referenced in Gertz in 1974, um, they drew it back and they disavowed that process and they said, that's too far, we're drawing it back in 1974. And Hutchinson in 1979 affirms that and says, no, we're not going that far. And I think the reason, if you look at the rationale in Gertz and the discussion of it in Hutchinson, what concerned the court there was we're looking at a balance here. We have to protect free speech. We have to protect the ability of the people to talk about issues in government in issues that um, are of public interest and public concern, capital P public. Um, but we also have to protect the right of individuals to protect their good name against defamatory statements. Where's the tipping point? I suppose the argument here though is not, the argument here as framed to our court is through the lens of public official. I mean, there, there isn't really a separate argument made in the briefing that forget about whether the coach is or is not a public official. This is a matter of public concern, and because it's a matter of public concern, the heightened um, constitutional standard should apply. I guess that's really not presented in this case, is it? I mean, all we're being asked to decide is whether or not this basketball coach was a public official or perhaps a limited purpose public figure. Those are the official descriptions of the name. They, absolutely, that's correct. But I think if you look at how um, this case was decided in the Court of Appeals and you look at the Britain case, which is a public official case, and sets out the three pieces, the three legs, um, the first one, generally, which is whether the, the coach performs a governmental duty directly related to the public interest, well, that applies. I think everybody concedes that applies. Public interest in educating kids and in, in working with kids for basketball teams, uh, that, that applies. And in fact, applies to almost any public job. Um, it's the second and the third prongs of Britain that are really at issue here. And the Court of Appeals simply did not address them. And it's ironic and interesting because those two prongs come from Stanky. So no, the, the public issue thing is not, is not in front of the court. This is a public official and secondarily, but relatedly, whether he's a limited figure, public limited purpose public figure. Council, let's say you're right, and we hold that the, this coach is not a public official. What should we do with the public figure argument? Um, you should not apply the New York Times standard because I do not believe that the criteria are met. I mean, first of all, is the, is the question of whether he is a public figure before us or not? 
um, it was certainly before the Court of Appeals. It, it was briefed. Um, it was not in the petition for cert. Um, so the question that you took was public official. So technically, it's not before you as a practical matter in terms of not just this case, but in terms of how cases involving people like Nathan McGuire, um, uh, what they face in a defamation case, it's absolutely before you because the two are no longer, initially they were separate or thought of as separate, I think. But now you've got public employees that are being analyzed under public figure as well. And so public official has come to be, I believe in usage, has come to be the position argument, which is high school coaches, are they public officials? And which is which, a sub-theme that's always been present in this case and is present in basically every case, is, okay, if he's not a public official by his position, did he do something, a, a public, did he do something to make himself a public figure? Council, I guess just to follow up on that, though, I, part of one concern I have is do we have enough in this record to make that decision? Now, you say it's been, it's, you briefed it. Uh, Council for Ms. Hewitt uh, uh, addressed it as well. The concern, though, is, or at least one of the concerns, is that uh, we don't have anything from Ms. Boland. She's pro se here. And maybe this is, is this something really that should go back to the district court um, to, to decide, to, to, to make that record, to more fully make that record? The record was made, the case was ready for trial, and Ms. Bolin had participated all the way through. And in fact, she did briefing at the Court of Appeals. Um, so in that respect, I think if it went back, um, we'd, we'd be going to trial <laughs> um, on the record that we have. Um, because she, you know, we have her deposition. She did participate in that, and she did uh, write. At she had representation on and off. There were times when she had a lawyer, times when she didn't, um, and that issue was briefed. Council, would you agree that um, you could conceivably have a high school basketball coach who is not a public official but is a public figure? Let's say you've got a coach who wins the most games in the history of Minnesota. And then there's an allegation that he or she accomplished that by bribing the, the refs. I mean, I could see that maybe that person's not a public official, but is a public figure by virtue of being the winningest coach and, and maybe accomplishing that by uh, illicit means. Well, I, perhaps if that's really the test for public figure, I don't, quest, I don't disagree with you that it's possible for a high school coach, a high school coach to do something to throw himself into a controversy. I think, of course, a coach could do that. Um, but I think it's not necessarily he, he stole money out of the, out of the pot. Um, it, it would be more like um, the park supervisor who was accused of mismanagement and you know, spent, all the, spent, all, spent all the money on, uh, um, it'd be similar to taking the money, I suppose, but mismanagement or something like that, even if he was the winningest coach. A better example might be if he was um, advocating for race relations or uh, a sexual harassment and those kinds of things, um, speech, uh, then I think he would have done it in those areas. Council, is um, Mr. McGuire, does he teach kindergarten at the same school? 
No, he's the, the school where he's a coach is a high, was a high school, and he taught kindergarten in the same district, but a different school at an elementary school. Does that matter? I don't. I don't. Not. It doesn't matter to the issues. Um, the, it's been kept separate throughout this entire case because there's never been an, any allegation by anybody that he did something inappropriate or, or bad. There's been no defamatory discussion by anybody in this case or any other time about his Come. conduct as a kindergarten teacher. Counsel, if, if I may, um, help me with, um, I'm looking at the Rosenblatt decision, and one of the things they say, and it's actually in a footnote, it's in footnote 13, but it, it, the court is talking about um, what it is, what we need to look at in terms of the nature of the position and what the individual does. And they say that the, the inquiry can't be simply kind of echoing your early comments that, that it's a just general public interest, that it can't be that. Um, because they say that, and I'm looking at footnote 13, that conclusion would virtually disregard society's interest in protecting reputation. The rather, the employee's position must be one which would invite public scrutiny and discussion of the person holding it entirely apart from the scrutiny and discussion occasioned by the particular charges and the controversy. What does that mean? It means something to me. I want to know if it means, I want to hear what you think that uh, means. I have that one starred. <laughs> What's that? I have that one starred. Okay. Okay, footnote 13. Um, for me, this is where it basically says that the, the, um, the malice standard, which applies to both official and public figure, cannot be reached because it's newsworthy. Okay, and I use that word deliberately because I'm trying to stay away from a public interest because that's such an ambiguous term now. It's newsworthy. Lots of things are newsworthy. It catches the public's interest um, because otherwise it disregards the right to protect yourself from defamatory statements. It has to invite public scrutiny. So apply that here, and, and I think in, in part it goes back to a piece of the chief's question, which is if there are allegations of inappropriate touching, for instance, how, how does that play out? I guess how it apply plays out that for me. the last part of, the, of that particular footnote since they're analyzing position, okay, as opposed to issue. Public official is analysis of a position and that says that the position has to be one that invites public scrutiny and discussion of the person holding it. Mm -hmm. And the position of coach generally doesn't invite, as a generality, doesn't invite people to be looking at conduct oh, anymore. Council, but, but isn't council sports so important in our society, at least deemed to be that if you're a coach, You've got, a, you've got a public position. I mean, everybody's gonna be watching what you do, starting with your win and loss record. I was thinking that last sentence of footnote 13 actually cut against your client a bit. I don't believe it does. Because when you get to the public, public interest and public news and what pe public people wanna look at, um, uh, today in the age of Twitter and Facebook and everything is public. Um, is a line that is in a different place than it was in 1964. 
And the question becomes, is earning a thousand or two thousand bucks a year to coach high school kids something anybody does knowing that they do by doing so, if, if someone defames them and says wrongful things about oh, them, counsel, they have no I, ability to, I, I to think, protect themselves. Counsel, I think the issue is, though, and I, I'm thinking now of the, um, oh gosh, I think it's the Johnston case out of, out of uh, Oklahoma, maybe, somewhere. It's one of, this, one of the this, uh, state court cases. Right, right, that, that your opponent cite. Well, you know, and they talk at some length. It was a high school coach there as well, I think, um, a, a wrestling coach maybe, but um, about how public, the public school system and public uh, and athletics, they touch all facets of, of many families in a community and, and many communities, you know, rise and fall uh, with the, the fortunes of, of their basketball teams or, or their sports teams, whatever they may be. Um, now, of course, in that case, the, the facts were, were, were very, very egregious, but, but putting those facts aside in terms of the conduct that, that occurred to one of the children. Um, but putting those facts aside, I think what Johnson was getting at is just the the pivotal role that um, high school sports play um, in a community. So what do we do with that in light of footnote 13? I think we have to look at the fact that there's a position that we're talking about here. And there, there is a balancing that has to go on with respect to where are we where where is this court going to draw the line now in today's world in terms of an ability, person's ability to speak and protect themselves against defamation i can tell you that high school coaches when they first get into this do not voluntarily think I don't I have I can't go to court if someone really lies about me and accuses me of all kinds of things. I'm giving up my right to go to court and protect my reputation. Counsel, I, I guarantee you they don't know that. Your red lights on. You have 10 minutes for rebuttal. I, I realize I was answering. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see now. Uh, respondents counsel, you're dividing your argument. Um, Ms. Hansen, you're going first for 15 minutes. All right. May it please the court, my name is Kirsten Hansen and I represent respondent Cheryl Hewitt. Uh, we are seeking that this court uphold the decision of both the district court and the court of appeals, finding that Mr. McGuire was a public official and therefore had to prove his defamation claims by actual malice. In addition, although not formally before this court, Mr. McGuire could be found to be a public figure. And in the case of Ms. Hewitt, Ms. Hewitt was dismissed on additional grounds of a qualified privilege and there was found to be no uh, malice. So in addition, we'd ask that that be upheld before the Council, do you, what do you think we can decide the public figure issue if, regard, if we decide he's not uh, a public official? And again, kind of along uh, the same concerns I expressed to your opponent, which is Ms. Boland's not here, she's pro se, and the district court and the court of appeals did not rule on it. And why we shouldn't, or should we remand back for that to be done? You know, I, I thought about that when the court asked that question, and I do believe that this record has been fully 
established, there would be nothing that the district court could do other than perhaps put a different analysis to the same question. I do think that it is within this court's purview to look at both the public official and the public figure argument and make a decision either way. And I would largely say that that's because the courts have sort of intermixed the public official, public figure standard. And in fact, the very first element under Britain, which is the public interest standard for a public official, that really does go to the public figure standard as well. Is it a matter and of- In fact, I think the Court of Appeals, it may just have been loose language, but at one point they mixed the two. They used the term public figure, and even though they, the holding is about being a public official, and I wasn't sure whether that was intent, probably, I don't know what that was. I hate to say it, but after a lot of research on that, this seems to be pretty standard from both the U.S. Supreme Court and amongst all the courts in this nation is that uh, public figure and public official can get a little squishy. And I think it's because the very first element in any court is, is this a matter of public interest? And I think it's very easy to sort of skew one direction or the other, and it gets a little sloppy. I will represent that in the district court briefs, I think it was a little sloppy as well. But Council, for, can you tell me what um, control over significant or governmental affairs that this coach had? Can you tell me specifically what you're relying on? Absolutely. Coach McGuire was the head coach of the girls' basketball team in Woodbury. As such, he was in a part of, by the way, an educational system. It is part of the Minnesota educational system, which is an element of high government interest. Within that, he had control over the entire program. That is everything from how practices are run, who plays on what team. He testified himself that he had direct ability to hire three people. That's how does that was. relate to the greater public? The greater public is because this is our children. These are our students. And you would agree that basketball is, I mean, it's a sport and it's a voluntary. So you decide whether you want to go out for basketball or not. It's not something that's a required part of the core education. So doesn't that make a difference? No, it doesn't. So is AP English. AP English is an elective, but we still hold our teachers to the public official standard. It doesn't matter if it's voluntary. We should not cause that to be a different thing. Has this court held our teachers to a public official standard? No, this court has not. And Ellistrom was decided by the uh, Minnesota Court of Appeals, and this court declined review, therefore essentially approving it. Uh, I don't think that's right. Well, Declined review means we declined review. Fair enough. However, that has been the standard within Minnesota since the court has not ruled on that. Now the court, if you look at the states that have found that teachers are public figures, or public officials, pardon me, you find that they also find the coaches are also public officials. That's across the United States. And the idea is because that they have such an intense control over- Well, counsel, I'm not sure that's true. I mean, there's cases like O'Connor out of Oklahoma and others that have said coaches are not public officials. So in fact, I think that's the majority. There's a split. I will grant you there's a split. But I think the majority is actually that, that, that uh, coaches are not public officials. Actually, Your Honor, if you look at how the courts come down, those courts that find that a teacher is not a public official also finds that the coach is not a public official. Those states that find the teacher is a public official finds that coaches are public officials. So there's a split. <laughs> well, there is a split, but the exception would be but Texas, counsel, which finds that teachers aren't public officials, but find that coaches are. Counsel, let, let me ask you this. I think the concern I have with your position is, as as uh, Ms. Van Dyke indicates, 
you know, I don't think there's any quibble or concern or question about whether or not sports are important and that parents have an interest in, in their, their coach and the decisions that they make. We certainly have an interest in uh, potentially inappropriate uh, touching or contact and things like that. But, but for the most part, the claims that are being made here, I mean, that could be made of anyone and it, it, of any, any government employee. And it seems to me under our case law and the Supreme Court's case law, that simply isn't enough. You've got to show that there's something about the position that has the uh, potential to influence uh, uh, public issues, civic issues. I mean, when you look at the cases, it's, it's you know, people that control police departments, people that control uh, recreational areas, um, uh, things that we think of as typical civic affairs you know, sort of the police power kinds of issues, the health, welfare, and safety in, in, in the broader sense. Help me with that, because that seems to me to be what's, what's the missing link for me in, in your position. I think actually a coach does have everything to do with public affairs and public health and public safety. When a child joins a basketball team, voluntarily or otherwise. The position though, it's not like being the police chief or the commissioner in, in New York Times where you're responsible for, I mean, that's probably one extreme, which is why you shook your head that way. But um, but still, the positions like that where you're dealing with, you know, major types of policy issues and where we want to encourage, and that's what New York Times and most of these cases were about. We want to encourage the, the ability of individuals to criticize the government, to criticize in that instance the actions that the police were taking at the height of the civil rights movement. So, you know, that's the context of a lot of these cases, and I'm having trouble seeing that here. Here's the situation. In this case, you know, we're not talking about some coach who picked up an average, you know, a street game of soccer, and that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about an official, an official in the school system. His official duties were to be the head of the girls' basketball program. Now we can poo-poo it and say, well, that's not as important as Latin, but he had exclusive control over that program, which constituted control over Council, the children who were what part seems of it. To, what's bothering me is that it, it feels like the, the driving force is the amount of weight that parents today put on sports. I mean, I certainly have seen it. I have kids. Um, I've sat on the sidelines with parents who are not behaving the way that they should. They want to be coaching. So I feel like it's being driven by where parents are today in the field of sports rather than our history and our case law. Can you help me with that? I guess I would disagree with you, Your Honor. If one only looks at the Me Too movement, that's what happens when one ignores how a coach treats a, a student athlete. This is what this case is driving. Well, hang about. on now. Nobody's nobody's arguing that allegations of inappropriate touching should be ignored. The argument here is whether a plaintiff, in order to get into court to defend his reputation, has to prove the constitutional New York Times malice standard. And that comes to the public official standard. In his position as the head of the program, he had control of the program. He had control of how those student athletes were being treated. He was in control. He was a public official. So what what issues, what public issues does he have? Is, it, is he in a position, what, what public issues is he in a position to influence the resolution of them? What are those public, what are those public issues? Not, not the power he has, but what are the actual issues that he can 
have like broad influence over how those are issues. He has broad resolved. influence on uh, issues such as how public funds are spent, including hiring additional coaches. So what, was his was he, was he given a certain budget and then he could hire certain coaches, or did he get to decide I want more money for this particular? For, bas for the basketball program? The record isn't clear on that, Your Honor. Uh, what he testified is that he had exclusive control to hire three independent coaches. Whether that was within a budget or his decision to ask for more money, that's not clear on the record. Counsel, is so that legally I accurate, though? I thought I saw something in your opponent's brief that said, maybe Mr. McGuire thought he did, but that he did not have the legal authority um, under the relevant statute to actually make those hires. Well, what's before this court is the record, which is Mr. McGuire testifying that he did, in fact, hire these people. Whether or not he needed to get some other approvals, not before this court. He testified that he, in fact, hired these people. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of how Woodbury personally handles that, uh, but that's his testimony, and that is the record before this court. Counsel, let's try to figure out where to draw the line here. Let's say your argument is correct that this uh, head coach is a uh, public official. What about the assistant coaches? He had five assistant coaches, I think. Am I right about that number? That is correct. All right. And so the uh, parents allege that the an assistant coach uh, yelled at the girls, was demeaning to them, uh, physically moved them around. It's exactly the same allegations in this case. Is the assistant coach a public official? I believe that an assistant coach would be a public official for the very reason that I compare them to teachers. A teacher is a public official under the Court of Appeals decision, whether they uh, are kindergarten teachers or whether or not they're the head of the AP division. I think anybody who has custody and control over children in our public school system is therefore a public official. That is, they are implementing the long arm of the government by controlling the students and their ability to do things. Is a social worker or a child protection worker a public official? Uh, for certain, a child protection worker, I think, would be a public official. They have absolute control, other than that can be, you know, well, taken by the court. Okay. Um, I would believe that they would be public officials, much like in the Britain versus Cope, where a, uh, a, uh, a correctional officer was found to be. Count Counsel, under your theory that anyone who has custody and control over children, I think, is that, is that what you said, I think? That is correct. Okay, would be a public official. I'm wondering how that lines up with the other two uh, factors that we laid out in, in, uh, in Britain. Because, you know, Ms. Van Dyke says that, you know, her criticism or one of the criticisms is that what the Court of Appeals did was simply focus on uh, point one of the three Britain factors. And when I hear you make this statement, it, it sounds like you as well are focusing on point one. But what about whether or not the person holds a position to influence significant th significantly the resolution of public issues, or whether the person appears to the, to the public to have substantial responsibility for or control over the conduct of government affairs? These don't strike me, just having custody and control over children, I'm not sure that that fits into control over government affairs as we typically think about them and as the Supreme Court has talked about them. I think the difference here is that we are talking about the public school system. That's where I keep coming back to. We're not talking about club basketball here. We're talking about the public school system that's part of public education programming, which is part of public tax dollars. As a 
head of a program, in, which is this specific case in front of this bench, he was acting as a part of the public school educational system, which is an element of strong government interest and a part of government affairs. And he wasn't some, he wasn't the janitor. He wasn't even the water boy. He was the head of the basketball program and he had control over that program, which is a part of our public educational system. And I think that's where we need to focus is what is this? This is a part of our educational system. So this then, isn't counsel, would you say that a volunteer coach for a club soccer or for a recreational soccer, they would not be a public official? I would agree with that. Even if the allegations were the same, they were related to the conduct related to children. I would say that they would not be a public official. They might be a public figure, but they would not be acting under the long arm of the law, as it were. They would not be acting as a part of the government. So let's say that he volunteered to be head coach for the Woodbury Girls basketball team. Would that change your answer as to whether he's a public official? Yes. Well, it, what it would do is I'd say now you're back into the educational system again. There's a difference between club and educational system. So is it the fact that he is an employee of the school district or is it the fact that he's coaching children that are part of a public school system? It's both, but I would say that it's the fact that he's coaching students who are part of the educational system as a part of the educational what system. What about uh, if you're a coach at Blake? You know what, I'll be perfectly honest, I'm not sure how the tax dollar issue works with that. I really do think that this is an issue of public money, public education. I would tend to think that that being a registered high school would be a public official. Um, but I could see an argument either way under that. So it's not just that you're a part of a public education system, it's that you're in a school, any, any school. What about a religious school? Well, I think I'm out of time, may I answer? Yes. I think under a religious school, uh, there might be other uh, issues with that, but I think you would be a public official under uh, a school setting. No, and I think Justice Hudson had a question. Counsel, I, I'm wondering how you would answer my question to opposing counsel about footnote 13 in Rosenblatt. I, I'm guessing that you would say where, it's, where it talks about the employee's position must be one which would invite public scrutiny and discussion. That falls into your point that because this is a part of the public school system and, and, edu and public education, that is a position that invites that kind of scrutiny. Exactly. Okay. Thank you, counsel. Your time has expired. Mr. Shern, you have 10 minutes. May it please the court. <clears throat> My name is Andrew Shern, and I represent respondent Joy Zondi. <clears throat> Let me first state that I agree with and I second the positions and the arguments that my co-respondent's counsel has just made. So you would agree that um, the real test here is whether public tax dollars are spent or not? I think that's the primary test. 
And so I anybody that has any control over it, like even the person at the front office who deals with petty cash for the teachers, they would be a public official. Yeah. I, I don't know that I can draw that, that line. Well, where I do think, you draw the line then? Well, I draw the line the same place that the Court of Appeals did and the District Court, Your Honor, and that is the uh, extreme emphasis that they place on the educational component, and as counsel has uh, argued as well. It's those tax dollars for educa the educational, the public school system. I'm not even sure I can go exactly to the to the Blake argument or the Blake Crest question that you raised. I think public school uh, teachers and public school coaches, particularly at the head coaching level that we have here in uh, the Woodbury girls basketball program is a significant factor. Uh, as uh, Justice Lillehog responded to Justice Hudson's question the first time around, um, and to the justice's point, um, the, the athletic programs of many of these public schools is a very big deal. It, it, it is a huge deal. It is a public, and it is a public interest to people way beyond the kids who participate in those programs. And so way the, beyond so the, the standard says, the first thing is performing government duties directly related, related to the public interest. And then the second is having influence over the resolution of public issues. Is there a difference? Everybody seems to be kind of conflating public interest and public issues. Is there a difference between those two things as you look at those two prongs? I'm not sure that there is. And I think that, that uh, Rosenblatt, as interpreted by our court in Britain, um, I, didn't, I, I got the impression from their analysis, which I think the Court of Appeals and the District Court did in detail. So I, I completely disagree with the position that's been articulated here from this petition for cert and ever since that time that our Court of Appeals got it wrong because they just ignored the analysis in Britain. I think that they followed the analysis. They followed it all the way from New York Times to Rosenblatt uh, to Britain, and they, they went through that analysis, and then they went to Elstrom because it's at the time, it's the closest case. Council, I want to go back to the public dollars um, because, you know, clearly we're writing a rule that's going to apply statewide. Is there a cutoff on the amount? Um, your uh, your co-counsel said, for example, the janitor is not a public official. But the janitor obviously expends public dollars by ordering supplies and um, that they need for cleaning the school. So where do we draw the line? Um, and does it matter that, and I don't know if Woodbury is the same, that parents are now having to pay a fee, sometimes a substantial fee, um, for their children to actually play in these sports because the school budgets can't cover them anymore? Does that does that have an impact? I think that there are several reasons why our Supreme Court in Rosenblatt decided it was not going to set particular categories and try to get into the weeds about whether this case fits or not. There, it, it's a case-by-case -case analysis, and I think that's what the district court did here, and I think it's what the Court of Appeals did here. It evaluated the facts, the record that it had available to it, and uh, it made a decision that in this case, Appellant McGuire 
was in fact a public official. I don't think that there's a, a dollar limit. I think the fact that it's that Woodbury is a very large public school system uh, with very high profile. Uh, is it in the uh, record? Does the record tell us if the parents had to pay a fee for their children to be enrolled in the basketball program? I don't think so, but I, it's, we've been at this since uh, 2014, I think, so I don't remember, Yana. Council, um, there's an amicus brief that's been submitted by the Minnesota High School Coaches Association, and the, basically the argument is these parents are just completely out of control. Um, parental abuse of coaches is endemic, and we certainly, by recognizing uh, coaches as public officials um, or public, public figures, at least we do something about that. Now, I, there's a constitutional dimension to this. Maybe there's a policy dimension to this. Can you respond to the policy dimension? First of all, I don't disagree with having been there as a parent, having watched, sat on the sidelines, uh, having watched all four of my children participate in sports. There, it's, it's a tough place for a coach to be. But contrary to the argument that was made by both the high school and the both the state and the national coaches associations that um, the coaches don't know what they're getting into. They're just volunteering for these programs, especially with uh, Coach McGuire in this case. He's not, uh, he's not uh, just a brand new person into the system. He didn't get hired by the Woodbury school system because he was a rookie coach and he certainly wasn't a volunteer. He, he has so is the test whether the coach is a babe in the woods or not? Yeah, no, no. I mean, is, no, that's, but, that I mean, can't be the policy argument you're when, making. When you're moving from the Holy Angels program to the Woodbury program, you're trying to take a step up and you're taking on more responsibility and you're taking on more criticism. So the size of the program matters? I think it does. I think it might. So a coach yep. in a big district is actually a public official, but a coach in a small district is not? Again, I think it's a question of, I don't think you can get, I, I draw a blanket policy that all coaches, all teachers, our, our kindergarten teachers uh, always going to be in the setting of a public school official, public official, I, I don't know. Council, I, I wonder, it, again, sticking with the, the policy issues here for a moment, you know, when you say, you know, coaches like, in this instance, uh, Coach McGuire, you know, they, they know what they're stepping into, they know what they're taking on, but I wonder if they are agreeing um, to, sub, to be subjected to, again, again, there are allegations at this point, but he claims they were defamatory, particularly when... Um, you know, when you look at, again, some of the Supreme Court's case law, one of the policy factors they talk about is the fact that these individuals frequently have the means and the wherewithal to defend themselves, either through the media, they've got the resources and the access. I mean, if you're the school superintendent, for instance, you're probably a public official, but you also have the, the bully pulpit of the media, and, and if you want to call a press conference, the media are going to come up, they're going to show up, and you're going to get to have that press conference. If you're the police commissioner or if you're anyone of that stature, you've got the ability to respond. And it seems to me, you know, as you go further down that hierarchy, you get to folks like Coach McGuire or the janitor, maybe, you know, if we're going to, if we ever go, go that far, who are not going to have that same kind of access. And I'm just wondering how, how you think we should think about that. I, I go back to the, the fact that Rosenblatt didn't set hard and fast criteria 
and, and uh, characterizations of, of kinds of jobs or whatever. I think it's a case-by-case -case basis. With the court's permission, let me take a little bit of a detour since you raised the issue of defamation of Coach McGuire and point out, like I have done in, in my uh, brief, that my client's position is significantly different than anyone else uh, in this case, and that is that uh, the reason we brought the motion in the first place at the district court level is we didn't believe there were any factual allegations, any facts, any evidence suggesting that my client defamed the coach. The coach eventually- Point taken, I understand that, yeah. That. And it took a while, uh, and it took a while here on appeal. It came in the, in the, I think, the last page of their reply brief where they conceded that, yes, that's the case, and no, we didn't challenge that. The other thing is, though, that as to conspiracy, didn't challenge that issue either as it relates to my client on the issue of not of um, unlawful, you know, a conspiracy or an agreement to do an unlawful purpose, but the conspiracy piece of it. The court found, the district court found that there was no evidence that my client um, uh, had a meeting of the minds with any of the other participants in going to, the, talking with the administration, because it was in fact, an administration hearing where people spoke. And so, then that wasn't appealed. And so under the circumstances, even if this court decides to send it back for some further discussion at the trial court level to make more of a record or whatever, my client should not be a part of that. They should be dismissed. She should be dismissed from this case at this time. Thank you, counsel. Time's up. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Van Dyke, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Council, before you get going on the main point, do you agree with Mr. Shearn's description of what should be done for his client? I do. Okay. Council, if I may, before you, you get started, I, it, it, it strikes me that um, Ms. Hansen's point that what we're talking about here is the public uh, school and our educational system, um, and that the public school system is the equivalent of, it is the height of, the epitome of a governmental affair. And, and maybe she has a point there. When you think about the fact that um, the education clause of the state constitution uh, requires that the state provide an adequate education uh, to its uh, public school students, and so it's, it, you know, the fundamental nature of education is even in our state constitution. And we've said that in Skeen and other cases, many other cases along the way. Um, and so why isn't this, and so maybe that picks up, you know, um, points two and three of the Britain test when you're talking about uh, resolution of public issues or, or three especially, uh, control over the conduct of governmental affairs. So it depends on how you define governmental affairs. But what I hear her saying is that uh, public education is the epitome of that. And so why isn't that correct, especially given the, the importance of it that we've laid out in our state constitution even? There's no question that education's important um, and that Minnesota requires it. Um, and supports it. 
There's no question about that at all. Um, but if you look at prongs two and three of Britain, I don't believe that's what those prongs are speaking of. Um, they're talking about significant influence, the holding a position to influence significantly, significantly. What, what case best tells us that that's not what they're talking about? What would you say is the best case in support of that position? That, I'm sorry, I'm not understanding what, what case best supports your, your position on that, that that's not what uh, two and three in Britain are talking about? The type, the case law that leads us to Britain, um, the type of resolution, the type of issues that were being dealt with by the people they decided were a public official. And even this court, um, I mean, what we're talking about is, for instance, the, the probation officer issue, um, looking at what is their statutory authority, they, they can put people in jail, they can, um, they can recommend that kids uh, not, be, not get off of probation. Um, they, have, they have an enormous authority um, over making those kinds of uh, police power type decisions over people that, that are underneath them. Um, and, it's, and it's that position that was being abused. And I think that's the key when we're looking at this test. Um, Judge McGuire, if, I mean, Judge, <laughs> Coach McGuire, if you look at what he's been accused of and what the defamation is about, um, if you get past number one that talks about public issues, because certainly abuse of children is a public issue, okay? Does he have a substantial responsibility or control over the conduct of government affairs? Though defamation has absolutely nothing to do with government affairs at all. Look at number well, three. It might if, again, it goes back to how we define government affairs. It might if government affairs includes um, how our public education system is run and within that of, of which athletics is a significant part and how that athletic team was run and the way uh, the children were treated. And it, so. I think we've come an awful long way from where public officials started. Um, anyone can abuse a position. Anyone can abuse a position. The question is, where's the balance? And I think, obviously, that's what this court is talking about. Where is, where is the balancing part? Parents have other avenues to address these concerns. If they are concerned about what's happening to their child and Ms. Hewitt's daughter um, it ha took advantage at least some, somewhat of that. She called the principal. Now she didn't follow up on that, but she called the principal. She has an avenue. Minnesota law gives her an avenue Council, to address in, that. In Britain, we looked at state statute um, to, to determine what the duties were. What do state statutes tell us here about the duties of a basketball coach, if anything? Um, the, the only thing that covers, it's in 122A, um, which covers teachers as well. 
Uh, coaches are in a couple of different sections. I believe I, I've mentioned them in my, in my brief. Um, they have a, a head coach does not have to be licensed. It's an exception. They generally are licensed. Um, unlike teachers, a, a head coach cannot ever be tenured. Um, he's on a one-year contract by statute. That is an at-will contract. And a teacher, once they're tenured, which is, I think, a two- or three-year period of time, is guaranteed due process and a, and a right to be heard within the administrative process of the statutes. They have a right to be heard, and that is the balance. There is where your balance is in terms of a right to speak, a right to be heard. There is no such protection but, for a coach. But is there anything in the state statute that, that sets out the duties of a basketball coach? No. Does that matter? Does that tell us something about whether this position rises to the level of constitutional protection? I believe it does. Because if you look at the, the Johnson case, the Minnesota District Court um, decided, I believe it was a superintendent, looked at the statutes for what are the duties of a, of a superintendent, and they're statutorily prescribed. And that informed that court, and it was a district court, it's not binding on this court, but that informed that court of whether or not it's the kind of governmental um, affair or a governmental entity or the level at which public official status was going to be applied. And if you look at other um, positions, like th they did the same thing with the probation officer in Britain. They went to the statute and said, what is, what is the authority of a, of a probation officer? And he had the authority of a peace officer. He had the authority of a police, a police officer. Council, um, if I may, on a slightly different point, um, I, I'm wondering with respect to Ms. Hewitt, um, you know, in, in their brief, um, they indicate that regardless of our finding on the public official piece, because the district court found that she was entitled to a qualified privilege, um, that uh, summary judgment was still appropriate um, as to, to her. And, um, and I'm wondering, you know, when I look at the PFR that you submitted to our court, you did not did not raise that as an issue. It does not look like on this record that you've ever challenged uh, the qualified privilege issue. So I, in, in my mind, it would appear that Ms. Hewitt is also out. I know you acknowledge that Ms. Uh, Zondi she, is out. Ms. Zondi is definitely out. Right. Um, and it, why wouldn't Ms. Hewitt be out as well on qualified privilege? It would depend on the scope of this court's opinion. But if, as a separate issue, um, I believe that that's correct. What's correct? Your statement, why wouldn't she, that she probably is out on qualified privilege. The finding of no malice. Okay, thank you. So can I, one thing that struck me about Britain is that this court kind of laid out these three tests, three, three steps, and then kind of ignored it and went and said law enforcement is about being able to assert authority of the government over a small group of people. So is the test, is Britain really the test or is it the authority to assert control? I mean, the, the opinion kind of has two parts which don't connect to each other. 
And then why, and why would law enforcement be different than a coach? If, if, the, if the test actually is the ability to assert the authority of the government while performing duties. Well, I think it, it, the, 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 uh, the police officer piece, and I agree there is a disconnect there. Um, the, the idea that a police officer can just walk into your house and take you, arrest you and take you to jail, has physical control over your body and can take you to jail. Um, I think that that's what has driven many, all of the police officer decisions, and they're all over the country. They're, that's pretty uniform. Um, and again, that's in Minnesota, that's statutory, what, what their authority is. And it's governmental, everybody, the whole, the series of questions about civic, I think that gets to the gut of it. What is civic authority and police officers fall within that group and high school coaches do not. Thank you, counsel. Thank Thanks you. to all counsel for the help that you provided to the court in this matter. This case is submitted, we'll issue an opinion in due course. All